Our scripture reading today will come from the book of Judges, Judges chapter 1, and I'll begin reading at verse 8. In your bulletins today is an insert, and you notice there's two pages because there's some other portions of God's Word I want to read uh, along with Judges, but for now, uh, our text is simply going to be Judges 1, the verses 8 through 21. Let us pay careful attention to the public reading of God's holy and infallible and inerrant word. Judges 1, verse 8. And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterwards, the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived on the hill country in the Negev and in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba. They defeated Shishai and Ahiman and Talami. From there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name Debir was formerly Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. And when she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have set me in the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And the descendants of the Kenite Moses' father-in-law went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. And Judah went with Simeon his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who lived in Zephath and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Hormah. And Judah also captured Gaza with its territory and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain, because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites, who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem till this day. Thus the reading of God's Word today from Judges chapter 1. I invite you to keep that outline in front of you, and I will be reading some other Scripture passages I've put there for you. So keep those handy as you listen to God's Word proclaimed today. Well, congregation of our Lord Jesus, as we begin our sermon today, it's important that you understand the overall structure of our text. Because the overall structure of our text shows us that there is an inclusio structure. Well, what is an inclusio? An inclusio is when a particular passage of Scripture begins and ends in a similar way, and it sets off the boundaries of the text and the overall message of our text. The first inclusio in our text today begins at verse 8, and it is about, as you see, Jerusalem. In verse 8 we read, And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it, struck it with the edge of the sword, and set the city on fire. And then in verse 21, the last verse of our text, 
we read about Jerusalem again. But it's not just repetition. Verse 21 adds something more about, this time, the tribe of Benjamin. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem till this day. The city of Jerusalem was on the border of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. But the city was actually located at this time within the Israelite tribe of Benjamin. In verse 8, we're told that the men of Judah did the right thing. God gave them the victory over Jerusalem. They captured the city. They struck it with the edge of the sword, and they set the city on fire. But then, because it was located within the tribe of Benjamin, they likely withdrew and left it to the tribe of Benjamin to take possession of it. What does it say in verse 21? But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. The Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem till this day. And so in the book of Judges, what does that say about the tribe of Benjamin? And in that, what message does God have for His people today? Keep listening to today's sermon and you'll find out as we go through God's Word together. The second part of the inclusio structure is about Hebron, and it's found in verses 10 and 20. In verse 10, we read about how the tribe of Judah captured Hebron. And Judah went, from, went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba. And they defeated Shishai, Ahiman, and Talamai. And then again, when we drop down to verse 20, we read something more about the capture of Hebron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. And so what does that teach us about Caleb, about the tribe of Judah, and about the capture of Hebron? And what message from those verses does God have for us as believers in Christ Jesus today? Keep listening to this sermon and it will come, and we'll see what God is doing. And so now that you've got the inclusio structure, let's take a look at what God is doing through the inner layers of that outside structure. Now you remember in Judges chapter 1, verse 1, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who will go up and fight the Canaanites against us? And the Lord's answer to them in verse 1, that it would be the tribe of Judah. And so after the capture of Jerusalem in verse 8, the text goes on in verse 9 to describe how the tribe of Judah went on to fight in three particular areas of the land of Canaan. In these three areas in particular, they were all allotted these areas to the tribe of Judah. Verse 9, And afterward the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the Negev, and in the lowland. Having captured Jerusalem, the tribe of Judah is going to go fight in the tribal territory allotted to them. Those three areas, the hill country, in the Negev, the desert area, and the lowland by the coast. And so the first battle then described was the battle that took place in the hill country of Hebron. Verse 10 and Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba. And they defeated Shishai and Ahiman and Talamai. 
one verse about is uh, Judah's victory over the tribe or the area of Hebron, the hill country. But before you move on too quickly, you must remember that inclusio structure in our text that I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon. You remember that inclusio structure, how what we saw about Hebron in verse 10, then is picked up again in verse 20. We read something more, and what does it tell us? And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses has said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. What is that about? God is taking us back in redemptive history in verse 20. And when you see Caleb's name mentioned in verse 20, it brings you back all the way to the time of Moses. During the time that the Israelites were in the wilderness, Caleb was one of the faithful spies, Caleb and Joshua. Perhaps you remember the time period in the book of Numbers when the Israelites, led by Moses, had gone through the Red Sea. God led them to Mount Sinai where he made his covenant with them. We read from the law today. God then led them through the wilderness. They arrived in Numbers 13 at the promised land, and they sent out the 12 spies to spy out the land. And what did the spies find? I put the passage for you today from Numbers 13 on the second page of your outlines this morning. Numbers 13, beginning at verse 22, they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, a Hyman, Shishiah, and Talamai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zom in Egypt. Do you see? Those three sons of Anak are the same three names, the same three men mentioned in Judges chapter 1, verse 10 and verse 20. Going on to verse 23, and they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between the two of them. And they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Do you see how Numbers 13 records that when the spies went out to spy out the land of Canaan, they went to the same territory, the hill country, down by the sea, and the Negev, to spy out the land. And then comes Caleb. Numbers 13, verse 25. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. 
Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw of it are of great height. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from Nephilim, and we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Do you see now what Judges 1 verse 10 and Judges 1 verse 20 is describing? The land of Hebron, the hill country, the same part of the land of Canaan that the 12 spies, including Caleb, went out to spy in Numbers chapter 13. The sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talami were the mightiest of men. Numbers 13, when the 12 spies saw them, 10 of the spies came back and says, we can't defeat these people. These people are giants. They're of great height. We're like grasshoppers before them. And they frightened all the people. And everyone except Joshua and Caleb panicked. And they wanted to go back to Egypt. Showed no faith and trust in God and His promises. And God sent that entire generation out into the wilderness for 40 years where they died and were not able to go into the promised land. But in Deuteronomy chapter 9, next passage I put there on your outlines, Deuteronomy chapter 9, the 40 years have passed. A generation died in the wilderness. And we read again about this land in Deuteronomy 9. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Look how the sons of Anakim are described. They are described as a people, great and tall, giants. And then what does God tell them in verse 3 of Deuteronomy 9? Know therefore today, that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. God tells them that the Lord will go ahead of them and fight for them. And then in Joshua chapter 14, next passage there on your outlines. When Joshua, we're told in that chapter earlier, was 85 years old, in that part of the hill country, the land had still not been conquered as Josh, under Joshua. And so Caleb requested to Joshua that the land that he had spied out be allotted to him. Joshua 14, verse 13. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephthunah, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephthunah, Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kirath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. Caleb is described as a man who wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Arba is described as the greatest among the Anakim and his three sons, almost as great as he. And then we come to Judges chapter 1, verse 10. 
in Judges chapter 1, verse 10, the land of Hebron has not yet been conquered. It's been promised. God has promised it. It's been allotted to Caleb, the faithful spy. This is the land of the giants. And what happens in Judges 1, verse 10? And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kirath Arba, and defeated Shishai and Ahiman and Talaman, the three giants. And what does verse 20 help us understand? And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. Wait a minute. We were told in verse 10 that it was the tribe of Judah who drove them out. But Caleb, you see, verse 20, had a role. Don't you see? Caleb cannot conquer Hebron by himself. And what's more, Caleb is an older man. And Caleb the spy had listened to what the Lord had said. And he directed the tribe of Judah, who are like grasshoppers before the giants. And the Lord gave the tribe of Judah, when they fought against the giants, the victory. The people of that region had frightened the previous generation so much, they were sent off into the wilderness for 40 years. And now the tribe of Judah has defeated them. Don't you see how Caleb's appearance here is pointing us backwards and it's pointing us forward? It points us all the way back to his faith in God in Numbers 13 when he was one of the spies under Moses and believed that the people could conquer the land. And his appearance in our text and reliance on the tribe of Judah points us forward to the transition that's going to take place in the book of Judges. When the book of Judges begins, the people are asking of the Lord in verse 1, who will lead us now against the Canaanites? Joshua is dead. And the Lord's answer is the tribe of Judah. And in the text we're told it is the tribe of Judah that finally defeats the sons of Anak. And it is through the tribe of Judah and the power of God that after the time of the judges, God will send to his Old Testament people a king after his own heart like David. And Caleb knows that promise. He knows how God has said he's going to deliver his people. And he asks the tribe of Judah, or directs the tribe of Judah, to conquer the land of Hebron on his behalf. And to God's New Testament people, we know that someday God will send an even greater king than King David. He will send a son of God king from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of the king David, who would save God's people from a greater foe than the sons of Anak. For by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, he will save his people from their sins. He will save them from death. He will give them the power of the resurrection in their lives and someday bring them into the eternal land of heaven. Caleb looks at the tribe of Judah to bring him the land. In that he is seeing, he is identifying, with the shadow of God's salvation to come through God's eternal King. But then our text goes on to tell us more, 
more about a deliverer that God will send for Israel. A future judge, a foreshadowing of what is still to come. In verse 11 we read, From there they went against the inhabitants of Deber. The name Deber was formerly kiriath Sefer. In verse 12 we read that Caleb offers his daughter as a wife. And Caleb said, He who attacks kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. Do you see how Caleb is not fighting his own battles anymore? But again, here we see how he is directing, just like he did with the tribe of Judah. He's directing somebody to go out and fight on his behalf. And in verse 13, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captures it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. Othniel seems to be Caleb's nephew. And in the spirit of the Lord, he captures Kiriath-Sefer. And Caleb, one of the two spies who believed that God would give the land to his people, he gave his daughter, Oxa, to Othniel for a wife. And then in verse 14, we read, When she came, Oxa, to him, that's to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And then she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have set me in the land of the Negev. Give me also the springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now why is this story about Oxa getting married to Othniel here at this point in the book of Judges? We've heard about the victory in the high country in the hills at Hebron. What follows will be further battles in the Negev, further battles in the lowlands. But here we have this story about Othniel and Caleb's daughter, and they're getting married. What does this have to do with the surrounding verses? Is it about how terrible that is that Caleb just offered his daughter that way? That's what some commentators do with it. As I've said a moment ago, these verses function as a foreshadowing about what is to come later in the book. And in our text today, Othniel responds to Caleb's challenge. He shows that he shares Caleb's faith in the victory that he's given. And in chapter 3, God will later raise up Othniel to be the first judge to lead Israel. And remember how we said throughout the book, from the first judge to the last judge, there is a downward spiral of sin. And the first judge, Othniel, is a faithful and a pretty good judge. And the last judge, Samson, pursues Canaanite women. And one reason that Othniel is a faithful judge is because what happens in our text here today. He married Caleb's daughter. Caleb's daughter shares her father's faith. And how do we know? Because look what she's doing and requesting in verse 15. She first asks her husband, Othniel, that he ask her father for a field in the land of promise. And Caleb gives to him a portion of the land that points to heaven. And then because it is in the Negev, a dry land, she goes a step further. 
she goes to her father herself in verse 14 and asks for a spring. And she dismounted from her donkey. And Caleb said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, give me a blessing since you have set me in the land of the Negev. And give me also springs of water. And Caleb doesn't just give her one. He gives her two. The upper and the lower springs. The Negev is the dry land. And the field, for it to be productive and to live in the land, she has to be given water. And so she asks her father for a spring because she's going to settle with her husband in the land of faith. And Caleb gives her not one, but two springs. You see, God has blessed Othniel, who will later be the first judge, with a faithful wife, a wife who's the daughter of Caleb, the faithful spy, Oxa, who understands and believes what it means to have an inheritance to the land, and she wants to settle there. Because like her father and husband, she sees the Old Testament land, a land which points to the land of salvation, the eternal land of heaven. It would be great to just stop there then. Everything seems to be going great in our text. God has given the tribe of Judah a great victory, the land of Hebron, the upper hill country. God has raised up Othniel, the first judge, and he's given him a godly wife after he shows and demonstrates that he knows the faith of Caleb. But the inclusio structure of our text does not let us stop there. The inclusio structure, which we saw at the beginning of our sermon today, from the beginning of this text to the end, sets apart the whole story. The inclusio structure then helps us see and conclude and understand as great as things were, Judah, the tribe of Judah, continued to fail. And what is their first failure? Verse 16, and the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms and into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. Now the Kenites, it tells us, were the descendants of Moses' father-in-law. You may remember in the book of Exodus how Moses left the land of Egypt and then he married a Kenite woman and his father-in-law even gives him advice. The Kenites did not live in the land of Canaan. They lived outside of it. But when the Israelites were going through the wilderness, they were friendly, they were helpful. They're nice people. And we're told here in this verse that for a time after the Israelites conquered Jericho, they lived near the city of Palms in the promised land. They followed them in. But the Kenites were not part of God's covenant. The Kenites were not promised the land. They did not live according to God's law. They're nice people. They're good people. They were helpful to God's people, the people of Israel. But it was not supposed to be part of their inheritance. And yet, what does it say? They settled there with the people. According to God's command, Judah was not supposed to settle with the people. A second failure comes in verse 17. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Hormah. At the end of verse 17, they did the right thing. They devoted the city to destruction. But they did it according to a Canaanite method. If you remember the first eight verses of Judges chapter 1, the Canaanites were a people who made alliances with 
other cities to fight their battles. And the Israelites, the people of Judah, asked the tribe of Simeon, come fight with us, we'll come fight with you. Instead of believing and trusting that God would give them the victory, because God had promised them that land, they made an alliance. They trusted in themselves, their own plans. They adopted the plans of the Canaanites to their battle strategies and victories. And they asked the tribe of Simeon to go off to war. A failure for them to understand the covenant, a failure for the tribe of Judah to believe God's word, and it shows up in the third failure. In verse 18, we read that Judah also captured Gaza with its territory, and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And if you know from later revelation, during the time of the Philistines, this same territory had five cities, and they've conquered three. Verse 19, and the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had iron chariots. Look again at the last part of verse 19. They could not drive the inhabitants out, the inhabitants of the plain, because they had chariots of iron. They drove out them from the hill country, but in the plains, the Canaanites had chariots of iron. You can't use chariots of iron in the hills, but in the plains, they are an effective weapon. And what did God say, though, in Joshua 17, verse 18? I put that verse underneath our text today on the back of your outline. Judges 17, 18. But the hill country shall be yours, for though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to the farthest borders, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron, and though they are strong. God told them they would be victorious over the Canaanites. God told them that this was their land. God told them even through Joshua, in Joshua chapter 17, that even though they have chariots of iron, you can defeat them. But they didn't believe it. The chariots of iron showed they cannot defeat the Canaanites in the plains. Something is wrong with the tribe of Judah. And remember the inclusio? Remember how in verse 20, Hebron is repeated from an earlier victory, earlier in the text, an earlier victory by the people of Judah. Verse 20, And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. The author, God-inspired author, reminds us in verse 20, after the, is the people of Judah have failed to drive out the iron chariots of a previous victory. This tribe is the tribe that in the high country had defeated the sons of Anak. The giants that had scared the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 13, so they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years. The tribe of Judah, God had given them the victory to defeat them. But in the previous verse, they are afraid of the chariots of iron. In verse 20, God reminds us that Caleb believed God's promise that he had given to Moses. 
And God blessed him with the land over the giants that the people had feared in the wilderness. And at the beginning of our text in verse 10, Caleb is directing and waiting for the tribe of Judah to conquer the land that God had given and promised to him. But what does their failure to drive out the iron chariots show us? It shows us that the tribe of Judah is not the tribe that will save God's people. They brought about deliverance for Caleb. They brought about deliverance for a good portion of the land that was allotted to them. But even Joshua understood that God day, God would someday drive out his people through a king. Caleb waits for the tribe of Judah to conquer the land for him because he knows that from the tribe of Judah, God had promised to Jacob that he would give his victory through a king. And the king that God would send to his Old Testament people was the king after God's own heart, King David. And now in the New Testament, in the fullness of God's salvation, God has given us a king greater than the tribe of Judah, greater than King David. God has given us his own son, a son of David, his king, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, he has come and he has conquered an even greater enemy than the giants and the sons of Anak. By his death on the cross and his resurrection for the grave, he has defeated sin and death. He has brought us into the land of his church, which points to the eternal land of heaven where he someday will bring us body and soul. And like Oxa, when you gather here this morning, it shows that you know what that means. You want not only land and to be present in the land, but you want the water of life, the two springs, the water of life that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to you to make your life and your faith fruitful. And today, you have an opportunity by way of a sign and seal to identify with that Savior who has come, to identify with the Savior who has given you that victory, who died on the cross from you, who rose from the grave, and to know by way of sign and seal, that He has brought you into this land. But for the Old Testament people of Judah, when it came to living it, something was still wrong. They found some really nice people who were somewhat related to them, not part of the covenant, not part of the inheritance, and they lived and settled next to each other because... They were nice people and had been nice to us. And it was hard not to soon to be like them. Have you ever done that? With some very nice non-Christians, perhaps some partially related ones around you? And then they did not trust God that He could give them the victory over the enemy. So they took matters into their own hands and made an alliance and fought together instead of looking to God for victory alone. Have you ever tried to do that in your battle with the sin that remains in your heart?
And then it meant they went to the lowlands. And they saw the iron chariots, an enemy that they just thought they could never defeat, even though God said they are defeated. Because they didn't trust God that they could. And you say, but they didn't have iron chariots to take them on. The enemy is just too powerful. It cannot be defeated. We don't have the weapons. Have you ever thought that way about the sin that remains in your life? Like the people of Israel, we have a great enemy. And even though we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us the victory, when it comes to a spiritual battle we face in the world, we face iron chariots. We're outgunned. Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us about this enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But you must know that in Christ Jesus and by way of His death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave, your sin is dead and buried. And by way of His resurrection, that victory's been given to you. God's told you that. But you can't defeat this enemy in the flesh. God has given you weapons. Ephesians 6 verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13 of Ephesians 6, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, being Fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish, extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. Like in our text today, God has given you salvation through His King. You have been brought into the land. He has given you the weapons to fight against whatever sin seems so strong and so powerful. He's given you the weapons and He's defeated it. And that is where He leaves you with the tribe of Judah. And the inclusio reminder from Caleb in verse 20. He reminds the Israelites, the people of Judah, of their victory. And then he gives us another inclusio. You remember at the beginning of this sermon how we said there are two inclusios. And we're going to come back to the first one later at the end. Verse 21, we're told a reminder of what the people of Benjamin did. Remember how in verse 8, we read about the tribe of Judah, how they conquered Jerusalem. They captured it. They struck it with the edge of the sword, and they set the city on fire. And then because it was in the tribe of Benjamin, they withdrew. And they left taking possession of it to the tribe of Benjamin. And what did the people of Benjamin do? Verse 21. 
But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem till this day. Though fearful at least, the tribe of Judah wanted to fight their enemies and drive them out. And they kept working at it. The tribe of Benjamin, they just let their enemies be. And by the end of the book of Judges, the people of the tribe of Benjamin are no different than the Canaanites who lived among them. This morning you have the opportunity to identify with the victory of the one from the tribe of Judah and all those who have repented of their sin and turned from it and not just let that sin be. And then by faith turn to the Savior and his victory, you are invited to join in the meal, to identify with his death and resurrection, the salvation he has given you in his power that can never be defeated. To identify with the fact that he has brought you into the land of promise. This is the earthly land. Someday, this feast, you will participate in in an eternal land. And He's called you to join in that sacrament, that promise, to identify with the victory of Christ, to participate today in the shadow of what's to come. Amen. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you today for this Old Testament passage which points to us in our lives today. For we can see the victory of the tribe of Judah, the victory that's come to us through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know from your word that it's true. We know and believe from your word that this has been accomplished, that the inheritance has been allotted to us, that we belong to salvation and eternal life, that we have an eternal home someday in heaven. But yet, Lord, we can identify with the fear of the people of Judah. Lord, at times we're weak. At times we want to compromise. At times we look for help in the flesh to overcome sin and our struggles. Lord, at times we think the enemy is too great. But Lord, today you've brought us here to this place to identify with the salvation victory, to identify with the land to identify with eternal life, which is forevermore. To be reminded of the people of Benjamin who let their sin be. Father, work in us. Change our hearts unto you. Give us a spirit of humbleness and repentance that we may know that victory, identifying with it now, singing praise to you forevermore. We pray this all, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.